In Luke 24, it says that after rising from the dead, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And Father, we understand, or at least we need to remember this morning that the reason we are here, the reason we know Jesus, the reason that as believers we can truly say Jesus is all to us is because there have been faithful witnesses to the truth throughout the generations. Father, that when Jesus told his disciples, go and be my witnesses to all the earth, they did it at great ultimate personal cost. Lord, that they took the gospel to someone who took the gospel to someone else who took it to another person and it It traveled from town to town and nation to nation and century to century until finally it found each one of us. The message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, yes, he died for our sins, but he also rose from the grave. That he is triumphant, he is Savior, he is Lord, and that he truly can. If we will taste and see how good the Lord is, he will prove to be all to us. And Father, we are so grateful for that news this morning. We're grateful for it every day. We're especially perhaps grateful for it when we gather to worship on Sunday, Lord. But there's no better Sunday than Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, where we remember the nail on which literally our entire faith hangs, the nail, the gospel of Jesus Christ that, as we sang earlier, we serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. Father, it gives us such hope. It gives us such joy and confidence and ultimately victory. And Father, I just pray now that having lifted our hearts and our voices in worship, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through the teaching of your word. Lord, the teacher is nothing. The the word, the message is everything. And I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the greatest news ever given, the greatest story ever told, Jesus Christ risen for us. Father, as we open your word, I ask that you would be our teacher. That as we ask you each and every Sunday, but maybe this above all Sundays, that you by your spirit would come guide us in truth. That you by your spirit would guard us from error. Father, that if we carried some stuff in here with us this morning that's going to keep us, that's going to hinder us from, from hearing from you, that Lord, you would give us the grace just to lay that down at your feet. Father, some of us come with joyful hearts and some of us come with broken hearts. Some of us come... Father, overflowing with gratitude, and some of us come because we got drugged here by somebody else. Father, slide all that stuff out of the way, and for the next few minutes, help us to see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning as we go to your word. May we see Jesus only this morning as we go to your word. And Father, when we leave here in a little while to go on to whatever the rest of this day and the the coming week holds, Father, I pray we leave with hearts overflowing, not because we came to church, not because we sang great songs or saw our friends or whatever else the case may be, but because for a few minutes we got to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him, Lord, him speak to our hearts. Have your way with us now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory and his kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning. We are so glad, truly, so glad that you are here today, not because you're at Maranatha Bible Church, but because you are here to worship the one who died and the one who lives. And I ask you to take out your Bible, if you have it with you, 
There are, of course, in the scriptures, four accounts, four gospels, meaning there are four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we're here to celebrate and remember today. I would ask you to turn to the one that's found in Matthew 28. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, where we're going to begin with the reading of scripture today, the reading of the the resurrection stories. You're making your way there, though. Let me just point out, uh, and, and this is really just for my sake. It may not be for anyone else's, but this is a good day, a great day for, for many reasons. For one, and this is just one that brings joy to my heart, it's opening day of the baseball season. That's a good day. I know it's just a triple-A game tonight between the Cubs and Cardinals. The real games start tomorrow. I shouldn't have done that on Easter Sunday. <laughs> is what it is. It's opening day. Second big reason that I'm just thrilled today, it's, uh, and I didn't tell him I was going to do this, but I'm going to embarrass him anyway. It's my son Cole's 15th birthday, so a little extra celebration at our house. I'm going to have to pay him for that. But it is, of course, above all things, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We are here. We've just sung that, that he is all to us, but we are really here for him. We're here to worship him, we're here to remember him, we're here to celebrate uh, what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And as I said, I want to begin with the reading of scripture. So if you have your Bible open to Matthew 28, that's great. If not, slide up next to somebody who does, as this is where we'll be in God's word this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to go down through verse 10 where this is what the scripture says. It says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. And his appearance, the angel's, was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying. Now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them. And greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. First words, like first impressions, are oftentimes a very, very, sometimes very, very big deal. First words, like first impressions, are oftentimes in life a very big deal. Because first words, both in terms of, of, of what is actually spoken, but perhaps even much more, the way in which uh, the words are said, can among other things, well, can do all sorts of things, but among other things, first words can, can reveal character on the part of the one who has spoken them. First words can express emotion. First words can, can set a tone, whatever that tone may be. First words can convey confidence on behalf of the one who's speaking, or perhaps a, a lack thereof as well. First words have the power to delight, to surprise, to shock, to entertain, to devastate. 
and any one of dozens of other things. Again, my point as we begin, or my message as we begin our time in God's Word this morning, is that many, many times in life, first words are a really big deal. You know, for the rest of my life, I will remember the first word that one of my children spoke. I have six children. Five of them, I have no idea what the first words were that came out of their mouth. I I may not have been there. I certainly don't remember. But one of them will always stick with me. I will not tell you who it is, but I will tell you that as I was changing his diaper, that eliminates one, is when he spoke it. I had my son laid out, little baby, uh, on the floor. He'd never spoken uh, uh, clearly any word before, but I was in the middle of changing this diaper. It was particularly unpleasant on that particular day. And, and in the middle of that experience, I, I cried out to I don't know if anybody else was in the house, but I simply said out loud as I was doing that, man, this thing is toxic. <laughs> to which my precious little son lying on the floor said, Toxic. It was the first word that ever clearly came out of his mouth. It, it may have been inconsequential, but it was memorable for sure. First words can be a big deal. Some of you of a certain age may remember another more consequential incident or occasion of first words. It happened in a, in a vice presidential debate many years ago. Uh, you may have been watching it as I was at the time. And And in this vice presidential debate, there was a third-party candidate, the vice presidential candidate for a third party. And and, and looking back, what we know now is is that this particular individual was added to his party's ticket very, very late in the race. And in fact, as the historians look back on it now, they realize this vice presidential candidate did absolutely zero preparation for this debate that was watched by tens of millions of people. So... When the moderator of the debate turned to this vice presidential candidate and requested that he make an opening statement, these were the first words out of the candidate's mouth. He said, who am I? And what in the world am I doing here? And in that moment, he conveyed to the nation, at the, at the very best, that he was dazed and confused. And at the worst, people got the impression this guy is incompetent. He has no idea what he's doing on this stage. He went on to make some coherent points, but already with first words, the die was cast. And from that moment on, that candidate had no chance because it appeared that there was incompetence being conveyed in those first words. Again, I say to you this morning, first words really can be a very big deal. And this morning, as we've met to celebrate Easter Sunday, we're going to consider Jesus' first words, at least one of the first words that he spoke to his followers upon emerging from the tomb. Now, as I said a moment ago, there are four accounts of the the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, 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 and the sequence it takes some putting together. But as best as we can tell, if not the first, one of the first words Jesus spoke to his disciples upon rising from the dead is recorded for us in Matthew 28, 10. Now, verse 9 says he said something to them prior to that. If you look at your Bible, it says, Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. We aren't told what the greeting was. We aren't told how he introduced or announced his presence to them. But what we are told after that greeting in verse 9, these are the first words that are recorded for us from the lips of Jesus upon rising from the dead. Then, verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Now this morning what I want to do is exactly the same thing that those of you who were here on Friday night for our Good Friday service know we did then. I simply want to ask three questions. I want to raise and respond to three questions. In fact, they're the exact same three questions that we raised and responded to on Friday night when we looked at one of Jesus' last words that he spoke while hung dying, while he hung dying on the cross. You remember uh, Friday night we looked at that declaration, it is finished, the last really word Jesus spoke for his, the sake of his people. This morning it's first words and we're going to ask the same questions. We're just going to walk through and see what it's all about. And the first of those three questions is the simplest to answer. It's the most obvious and apparent. It's simply to pose the question or raise the question, looking at this passage, what exactly did Jesus say? Upon rising from the dead, meeting his followers, these women who'd come to the tomb for the very first time, question number one, what did Jesus say? Now, you can look at your Bible and answer that question as well as I can. It's right there printed on the page for us to read. There's no mystery to it. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, first words, do not be afraid. Now, an interesting thing about that declaration is depending on your English translation of the Bible, it's three or four words. Do not be afraid. Be not afraid. Uh, There's, you know, multiple words to express what Jesus was saying there. But actually, if you go back to the original Greek language of the New Testament, you find that that the word Jesus or the word Matthew used to record Jesus' words here, just like his last declaration on the cross on Good Friday, was actually just one single term in Greek. That term, it is finished, his last word from the cross, one term. His first words upon rising from the dead, uh, don't be afraid, be not afraid. Again, it's one single term, and and the most simple way to translate it into English is, is what we've just said, be not afraid. One of the really interesting things about that is that while be not afraid, do not be afraid, well, it was the first thing, as we've already established, Jesus said after rising from the dead, the first words he spoke to his followers, to his people, it wasn't even close to the first time Jesus had ever actually said it. In fact, if you go through the Bible from the front cover to the back, if you read all the way through the scriptures, you find this, or you would discover if you were looking for it, that that command, be not afraid, is the most frequently given command in the entire Bible. God the Father, Christ the Son, say, be not afraid to us, to their people, more than any other single thing. God wants us to hear this message, be not afraid. God wants this message to make its way to our hearts. And here Jesus uses it. The instance, the occasion in which he uses it is to tell the women who'd originally come to the tomb to to finish the work of preparing his body for burial. Again, if you read one of the other gospel accounts, you find that they came a, a, a great while before dawn, it says, before the sun came up, and they came with an express purpose. They wanted to go to the tomb and, 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 and finish this work of preparing a body for burial for its final resting place. In fact, one of the other gospel authors tell us that as they were walking to the tomb that morning, they were debating, discussing with themselves, how are we going to get that stone out of the way? They expected to find Jesus' body there, still dead as they'd seen it placed there on Friday night. That's why they'd originally come to the tomb. But now, when they arrive at Jesus' tomb on Easter Resurrection Sunday morning, they find the stone rolled away and and that Jesus is alive. Again, the reason uh, Jesus, Jesus speaks these words to them, the first thing he says is, be not afraid. And what he's saying to them in that moment is that of all the ways you are feeling, 
and of all the, the emotions that are coursing through your body and all the thoughts and questions that are racing through your mind and all the jumble of, of seeing that, no, I'm not lying dead in the tomb behind a stone. I'm alive. I'm here. I'm whole. I've been glorified. He said, of all the things and responses you have, there's one you should not have in your mind or heart whatsoever. You should not be afraid. You can be joyful. You can be confused. You can have questions, all these other things. But what I don't want you, Jesus said, to be is afraid. Question number one, very, very simple. What did Jesus say? Be not afraid. Question number two, more consequential. Why did Jesus say it? Why specifically were those the first words apparently out of Jesus' mouth? Telling his disciples of all the things he could have said to them, why is it be not afraid, do not fear? Well, there's an obvious, again, if you look at your Bible, there's a very simple, plain, and obvious answer to that question. Why did Jesus say, don't be afraid? Because they were what? What well, were they afraid? That's right. Jesus said, don't be afraid, because in fact, they were afraid. Go back to verse 8. I'm not making it up. It's right there in the scripture. It says, and they left the tomb. They go to the tomb. They find the stones rolled away. They, they are, are spoken to by the angel. They're delivered the news. And what does it say? It says, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. There was fear and great joy, but notice fear comes first. My hunch is I may be wrong because fear was the dominant feeling of the moment. There was joy, but they were scared. There was something that made them afraid. Now, we aren't told what it was. If you look at your Bible, you can look closely, you can, you can dig in. It doesn't say precisely what it was the women were afraid of. But what we do know, you know as well as I do about fear, is that it's a universal human emotion. It's a universal human response. It's something we all face to one degree or another when we are thrust into uncertain situations. When we find ourselves in circumstances we never saw coming, we don't know where they're going, when we can't discern as clearly as we'd like to what the future holds, uh, and again, in the midst of whatever feelings or emotions we may have, we are at some level bound to be afraid. It's a universal human response. And we have no clue what's happening or where events are going. And you know, and some of you know this because I've shared it with you before. For a long time in my life, fear was my best friend. And I don't say that flippantly or facetiously. That's the, that's the honest truth before the Lord. For much of my life, I was a slave to fear. I was anxious all the time. And and if you've felt fear in any degree and allowed it to linger in your life, you know, at least to some degree, that fearfulness is a deadly trap to fall into. Fearfulness is an awful snare to get a hold of your life because once it gets in there, it doesn't let go. Fear, fearfulness, anxiety is a terrible way to live. And the thing about fear is that when it's allowed to go unchecked in our lives and in our hearts, it, eventually it'll either figuratively, if not literally, stop us dead in our tracks. I mean, at one end of the spectrum, if your fear is the brand of fear, if you feel the fear of, of disaster, of catastrophe, of, of worst-case scenario, of, of something awful happening, I mean, that'll paralyze. Well, I'm here to tell you, it'll paralyze you. But, but the same is true of the other kind of fear that, that the Bible presents, the fear of awe and wonder. Of, of being overwhelmed with something glorious, too wonderful for words. That too, in an entirely different way, fear will stop you in your tracks. Fear has the power to freeze us, for whatever reason, right where we are. Think of Isaiah. If you've read Isaiah 6, it says, when Isaiah saw his vision of the Lord, he had both things going on. He saw the glory of the Lord seated on a throne in a temple, and he said, woe is me, I am undone. Wow. 
But at the same time, there's this sense of awe and, and un, uh, just disbelief at what I'm seeing. It's real. Fear, when le- my point is when, when left unchecked, it'll take control of your life and, and paralyze you from doing much of, of anything else or it will keep you from doing whatever you can do from doing it very well. Fear is a monster. It's a powerful enemy that can take control. And, and according to the rest of verse 10, Jesus did have something. The reason he said this is because he did have something he wanted these women to do. Look at your Bible again at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I have an assignment for you. It's right there in the rest of the verse. I want you to go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus said, I want you to stop being afraid. Deal with whatever other emotions and feelings you're having, a positive, negative, whatever they may be, but get fear out of the equation because I have a job for you to do, and the fear is going to stop you from doing it. And it says what it is, I want you to go, and I want you to take word to my disciples. Now, for students of the passage, we should say, what word? (laughs) What word did Jesus want them to take? Well, of course, the fact that the tomb was empty, that they'd seen him, that he was risen from the dead. Certainly the fact as they were putting the pieces together that, oh, Jesus did exactly what he promised to do. Once again, all the things he said, the prophecies he brought, the promises he made, he has fulfilled them to the letter. But I think at least with the passage of time, Jesus' command here was more than that. Ultimately, I believe that Jesus wanted these women to deliver to the, the, this, the message to the disciples and that they together, the women and the disciples, deliver the message to the world, the most extraordinary, revolutionary, life-changing news that has ever hit planet Earth, this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose from the dead. And if you believe it, you will be saved. And for them to do that, fear had to exit the equation. It could be a lot of other things. They could not be afraid. She said, you get fear out of the mix because I have a a mission for you to carry out, to take word to my brethren. That word, that term, take word, it means to announce. It means to declare. The idea is is of of a superior giving his subject the assignment to proclaim something as a messenger. This was an official commission, a a deputization, if you will. Jesus is saying, I have a job for you to do, to proclaim the message of the gospel to the world. And again, for them to do that, they had to be not afraid. The fear they felt had to be dealt with. And, you know, before we dig into the the third question, kind of what all this has to do with us, I, I want to pause for a second and ask whether having heard that message, you have responded to it. As you sit here this Resurrection Sunday morning, I know many of you have heard the message before and you've believed it and you've believed it with all your heart. You know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know that he died, not just for the sins of the whole world, but for your sin. You believe that he rose from the dead, that it's not a fairy tale or a fable, it's the truth. And you have believed in him and been saved, but not everyone has. I mean, I'm not going to make that assumption. I'm not going to take that chance. Have you? Do you as you sit here this morning? You came here willingly or you didn't. I don't know. But in your heart, can you say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's not just a story. He's not just another good religious man. That he, in fact, was the Son of God. 
And that when he died on the cross for the sins of the world, he died on the cross for me. And that, again, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a fable. He rose from the dead. If you think otherwise, go find the tomb. They've been looking for a very long time. He's not there, he's risen. Have you believed it? Have you been saved? If not, none of the rest of what I'm going to say this morning matters. You can stop listening to the rest of what I have to say and deal with that question. And you don't have to walk an aisle or sign a card or raise a hand or wave your arms in the air. But you do need to, in the quietness and intimacy of your own heart, say to the Lord, I believe. Jesus, I believe that what you did was done for me. I believe you died for me because I needed to be forgiven. I believe you rose from the dead because you are the Son of God. Come into my life and save me. I'm not asking you, I'm pleading with you. As it says in the Psalms, taste and see, the Lord is good. See, I don't know what it means. I know, but you will. Jesus says, trust me and I will show you. In his word, it will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. He'll show you the way to go. But do you believe? Do you know Jesus Christ? That is the ultimate question today. If not, take care of business. Trust Jesus Christ and be saved. Because it's when you've done that that you're ready for the the final question we're going to look at this morning. Question number one, what did Jesus say? He said, first and foremost to his people, do not be afraid. Question number two, why did Jesus say it? Because he had an assignment for them. He had a job he wanted them to do. And by the way, it's the same assignment he's given us. Go tell the world. Question number three is the most practical, and it's probably also the most personal, and it's the question that I believe whenever we come together to study God's word at some point along the way must be asked. And that third and final question is this, what difference does it make? They said on Friday night in far more simplistic, earthy terms, so what? Why does it matter that this is what Jesus said, and what difference should it make in your life or in mine? Like so many other things in the Scripture, so many other questions we ask when we study God's Word, there's lots of answers to that question. What difference does it make? We could sit here for a long time and make a list. But ultimately, at least I think in, in the way we're approaching the Scripture this morning, and the way we're looking at this story, the angle we're coming at it, the answer to that question, what difference does it make, comes down to one word, at least in my heart, and that word is freedom. What difference does it make that Jesus' first declaration to his disciples was, do not be afraid? I think it comes down to a question of freedom. Because if you look, I want you to look at your Bible, at what happened back up in verses 5 and 6. It says that after arriving at the tomb and... and <clears throat> excuse me, what had taken place before the women arrived. It says, Then the angel, who had come and rolled away the stone and frightened the guards, verse 5, said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. Now, verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Question, does that sound familiar? (laughs) Does that sound familiar? It should, if you've looked at the whole passage and followed what we've seen so far. Because the angel, this is exactly what then Jesus says to them a couple of verses later. So the women come to the tomb. And, and the angel meets them there. Now, it's not every day you get met by an angel. And, and if an angel speaks, you're going to pay attention. 
And they did. And the angel gave them this assignment. Don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples. Don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples. But a minute and a half later, when Jesus steps out from behind the bushes or wherever it was he came from to to meet them there in the road, it's clear in verse 8 that fear was still behind the wheel. Look at verse 8. We looked at it once already. They left the tomb quickly with what? What does your Bible say? Somebody's Bible says it. What does it say? Fear. They left the tomb with fear. So he said, don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples. But they start walking down the road, and they're still afraid. So Jesus has to give them the declaration all over again. Don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples that I will meet them ahead in Galilee. Now, what's the difference between the first encounter and the second one? Why did the first one apparently not stick and the second one we presume did? I'll tell you why. The difference comes down to the one who said it. The difference comes down to the one who said, don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples that I'm alive. You know, one of the biggest things I learned when fear was my master, and again, I don't don't say that to be corny. That's the absolute truth. One of the things I learned, I learned a lot of things when fear ruled my life. And one of those many lessons looking back that I realized is that in the same way they say you can't argue with a crazy person and expect to win the argument, you can't argue with a fearful person and expect to win that argument either. Because the fearful person, when fear is in control, always has an answer. And it's always the same. And I wore this answer out. I use it all the time. Because... Because what I've discovered is you can't reason your way out of fear. You can't reason your way out of the trap of anxiety. Because along the way, as I began to to open up and to tell people what I was dealing with, because I kept it a secret a long, long, we're talking like years, I kept it a secret. But when I began to disclose to people I trusted what I was dealing with, they loved me and they cared. And and many times, and I understand and I would have done the same thing because this is what pastors are supposed to do. I tried to talk them out of it. Don't be afraid. And here's all the reasons. I'd say, here's what I'm afraid of. Well, here's all the reasons you shouldn't be afraid of that. It's so unlikely. It's irrational. It will never happen. And my answer was always the same. Yeah, but you're not in charge. Yeah, but you're not in control. You can tell me it won't happen, and it probably won't, and all the reasons it's going to be okay. But ultimately, you don't call the shots. And I wasn't trying to be stubborn or rude or flippant. I meant it. I mean, you can give me all the reasons in the world why flying is statistically so much safer than driving. I still don't like getting on planes. One of my lesser fears, but it's still there. And and you can give me all the reasons, but I tell you what, if I happen to be the guy who gets on that one in a million plane that defies the odds and goes down, I'm telling you, you don't have a cushion big enough that'll make that thing bounce when it hits the ground. And you can tell me it won't happen, but you're not in charge. And you don't know. And I think that with fearful people, that's what it all comes down to. You can't reason your way and you can't reason anyone else's way out of a trap of anxiety and fear. But can I tell you something this morning? Jesus is different. And you know why? Because Jesus is Lord. Isn't that what the empty tomb, the resurrection is all about? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is different because Jesus is Lord. Because you know what Jesus did, what he was communicating to us, what he was establishing and proclaiming to the world by rising from the dead, that he'd conquered death. That he had conquered sin. That he had stared every single brand and stripe and kind of sin in the face and won, fear included. 
Greed included, anger included, unforgiveness included, bitterness included, lust included. He beat it all. The difference comes down to the one who says it and whether or not he's able to back it up. And when Jesus Christ said to his people, be not afraid, he did so with the authority and the power to back it up. Because he could say, literally, I've been there, I've done that. And as we said on Friday night, it is finished. I won. Now, of course, that's not a guarantee, and I'm not telling you something you don't know, that trials won't come your way, because they will. And they do, and they have. That's not a guarantee that life won't be hard But it is a promise that when they do, he will be with you every step of the way. He will get you through somehow to the other side, and in between he will never leave or forsake you. And again, I'm not just making that up. That's what the Bible says. For example, Psalm 23. Many of you know it so well. Psalm 23, 4 says this. David said, he said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's the worst of all possible scenarios, I will not fear. Why? Say those underlined words with me. For you are with me. I don't fear no evil because there's no evil to fear. No, there's plenty of evil to fear, but I have something greater. I have the one who is with me, Jesus Christ. I have the faithful one who conquered, the precious, we sang earlier, the precious cornerstone, the sure foundation, the one who is faithful to the end. So to answer the question, what difference does it make that Jesus' first words upon rising from the dead to his followers were, be not afraid, the message is this, that when you know who Jesus Christ is, that he is the son of God. And you come to terms with what he's accomplished, that he conquered sin when he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead three days later. You will be afraid. You'll be inclined to be afraid. Here's the message. You don't have to be afraid, because there's an answer. You don't have to fear life or death. You don't have to fear your past or your future. You don't have to fear, live in fear, be a slave to what you do know or a slave to what you don't. A slave to what you can see or a slave to what you can't. Not because I say so, but because Jesus said so. Jesus said so. Be not afraid. And it was the first thing out of his mouth after rising from the dead. Again, I say to you, first words matter, and they matter a lot. As we close this morning, let's be honest. The truth is that you and I do have good reasons to be afraid. I've got my list and you have yours. We have good reason to be afraid. We are sinners. The world is broken. It's not getting better. It is getting worse. As I said, trials come. Hard stuff is part of life. The truth is this. We do have, you and I have good reasons for fear. However, one of the the most brilliant messages shining forth from the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning is this. You have better reasons for hope. You have good reasons for fear, but you have better, if you're a believer, you have better reasons for hope. Why? Because we belong as believers to the one who conquered it all, who rules and reigns over it all, and has his hand on every detail of our lives. And that's why the big idea this Resurrection Sunday morning 
is this, that because he lives, we've been set free. Because he lives, we've been set free from fear and from whatever else it is that Satan throws at us and uses to undo because he's still trying to destroy But because he lives, Jesus lives, we've been set free. We belong to the one who conquered and controls and will ultimately deal with it all. And Father, we praise you for that this morning. That one of the many glorious messages of Resurrection Sunday is the message, is the declaration, be not afraid. And the assurance that that declaration was given to us by one who not only meant it with all his heart, but had accomplished it with with the cross and the resurrection. Father, we thank you so much this morning that we serve not a dead, but a living Savior. That we are offered salvation and eternal life, not by one who is merely a good example, better than most, but by Jesus Christ, the Son of God that he did die for our sins, that he did rise from the dead, and though fear enters in, it does not have to be our master. Father, thank you for loving us so much to send your son here for us. Father, as we leave this place today, we go back, many of us, to fearful situations, uncertain futures, scary stuff. We have good reasons for fear, but we have better reasons for hope. Father, may we walk this week in light of the empty tomb with hope because of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.